From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, our air conditioner kicked in at 6.30 in the morning and has not stopped. Ooh. And, um, but I know you are used to that. Uh, but, you know, we do not have humidity. So. Yeah, and that's that's been our thing right now. We're like, our temperatures aren't that bad. We're kind of hanging in the mid to upper 80s, but the humidity is unbearable. And those uh, those those summer thunderstorms that everyone knows about Orlando mm-hmm. area having, those started picking up. I mean, just the day we're recording this here, uh, just like an hour before, I thought I was going to have to text you and be like, we might have to postpone this because there was just a massive thunderstorm we are sitting on our front porch in our rocking chairs watching it lightning off in the distance (laughs) and luckily it it all passed it all passed below us so uh but it it was it was looking dicey sitting on the front porch you know i I imagine you like burl ives you had your guitar and (laughs) rocking and kylie had her her crocheting or her needlepoint you know just doing I've painted a very charming mental image of you two. I mean, it's it's kind of close. I mean, I don't have I don't have a, a guitar out front. I I'd be too worried about my guitar being out in the humidity, so I don't mm-hmm. bring that out there. But Kylie has been like just cross stitching nonstop since this oh. entire uh, stay at home has started. So you're you're like almost right on there, but. I did. I that was our our one thing that we've kind of splurged on during all of this. When we got our our government money, we were like, we're going to buy rocking chairs for our front porch because we just had like a, a regular chairs and a table set mm-hmm. up, and like it's not. Even though Florida is not the South, it's like it's still we need to be Southern. We need to have rocking chairs on our front porch and just sit out and watch the thunderstorms and drink sweet tea and and just live the full full experience oh that sounds lovely i mean my dream house was always to have a big front wraparound porch which Mm -hmm. they rarely build in california but oh i wanted that so bad just for that you know so we could have rocking chairs out there and carol and i could rock on them and i love sweet tea our daughter Joni, when she went to the university of kentucky lexington and i went back there to visit her she introduced me to sweet tea and i make my own in the summer because i haven't found a store brand that i like so i have to make my own but um for some reason lipton's cold brand i think that what is it called iced tea because the one i really want to get um, isn't available out here. Hmm. Um, it, that's one of those c- 
pandemic things that's never in our stores right now. That what is everybody making sweet tea all of a sudden <laughs> as they use up their toilet paper and Lysol wipes? I mean, I don't understand how it's always gone when I go to the store. It makes it really perfect bugs sense to me. <laughs> I guess. Anyway, but yeah, it's it's we're warm enough now. Of course, they always say the. I don't know if it's this way where you live, but out here, the meteorologists love to say triple-digit weather today. And I thought, well, so what is it? It's going to be 692 degrees? Why don't you just tell me what the temperature is going to be? But they just <laughs> like to say it's triple digits, you know? And um, anyway, it, it but it was pretty close to that today. And it's going to wow. get hotter <laughs> as the week goes on. Uh, yeah, it's a little, little early yet. But of course, it poured rain last week. So the weather's crazy. Um, I have an update on Fantasia. Some some of our Connecting with Walt family, they were very nice. I think the minute they heard the show, they watched Fantasia. Or at least the first 15 minutes. Because um, I don't know what I was doing in the first 15 minutes of Fantasia. I was finishing up eating dinner. I know that much. Um, apparently, Takata and Fuke is in the first four minutes of Fantasia. I thought, it's that early? And I think uh, they said um, the little mushrooms are like 14 or 15 minutes into it. Mm. So so I've got to watch the first 15 minutes of Fantasia again. So. I, I mean, I understand. I, I've done that plenty of times where I'm like, did I miss that? It's it's kind of this, it's the opposite feeling of when you watch a movie for like the 20th time and you're like, I never noticed that before. And that's when you realize that sometimes you just have trouble paying attention to some things. I, I guess. Well, I get distracted. Well, first off, by our cat whose previous owners just held him all day. 24-7. <laughs> and so he's constantly asking me for attention. But I think I was I was finishing up dinner and just sort of, and I took it up to the kitchen to put in the sink and all that stuff. So that, I must have gotten distracted. It happens. I was on, seeking of movies, I was on a science fiction kick this week and I watched The Martian, which I'd never seen before. That's a good film. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's well done. So I, I, I like it. I watched it a handful of times. Yeah, I would have died, <laughs> even if I'd gone through astronaut training. And then um, and then I watched, once again, one of my top, top favorite films, 2001, A Space Odyssey. And then, because you recommended it to me, I watched the sequel, 2010, um, The Year We Make Contact. And, did you like it? And I enjoyed it. I did. You know, it's no Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, you yeah. Know, spectacular. I just thought, why are these people talking so much? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, in 2001, uh, what, the first sentence is uttered, what, 20, 30 minutes into the film? And there's very little talking throughout it. And this one, oh my gosh, they just don't stop talking. But I enjoyed it. I, I think I understood the film a little better than 2001. But, yeah. Um, I, I enjoy but, it. I don't you know, watch it all the time. Like I, mm -hmm. I could sit down and watch two thousand one once, at least once every six months. But uh, twenty ten, mm -hmm. I, I it's once every couple of years is nice to to catch up with it. I was sure the John Lithgow character was going to screw something up. <laughs> I just thought, why are you there? I agreed with him. Why are you there? <laughs> and uh, I was sure he was going to mess up the whole thing. But anyway. It had a happy ending. Yeah. So, 
And then, uh, and then, um, just just to let folks know, remind folks about story time with Michael. It's right now a weekly little extra thing we do, and um, and I think you'll find it on Saturdays. That's it's um, I think that's where it's settling in. That's its new um, that's its day or, yes. or late afternoon evening for now. So anyway, so we have a a one. Um, the next one coming up is actually by a former Disney Pixar animator who has um, from a long, a long line of, um, let's just say, artists, some one in particular with a, with a big Disney connection. So anyway, so I think you'll enjoy this this children's book. Hmm. I didn't notice it in the so. background of the last one. Oh, okay. It was there, but I think um, the connecting with Walt Loco would be partially covered it a bit. Oh, and that would have been my fault for putting it there. <laughs> yeah, but you could still see it. It was purple in color. Okay, I'll, I'll have to go back and watch it again, see if I can I can see it. Okay, okay. all righty. Well, in episode four of Connecting with Walt titled The Master Plan, Craig and I talked about Walt Disney's original plan for Epcot and what a visit to Epcot, the city, as Walt envisioned might have been like. And if you've not listened to episode four, I highly recommend you listen to it to learn about Walt's original plans for Epcot. In episode 75, A Dream Reimagined, we talked about how the concept of Epcot changed from a city of the future to the theme park, Epcot Center. And in episodes 86, 97, and 98, we talked about the history of Spaceship Earth, the icon of Epcot Center. And in episodes 131 and 132, we began our exploration of Future World with a look at the Universe of Energy Pavilion. So in this episode, we're going to continue our exploration of Future World with a look at the Wonders of Life Pavilion. And as we discussed in our previous episodes, the plans for Epcot Center and Future World changed over time. In a 1977 annual report for the Walt Disney Company, shareholders retreated to the details of the new theme park, along with some stunning concept art and photos of models of what was to come. Future World was described as the Future World, an American enterprise forum, poses the challenges and previews alternatives for the community of the future. And the report went on to say, the principal components of Future World include a major introductory theme show, Spaceship Earth, the Communicore, a global marketplace of new ideas, bringing the public into direct interface with industry, and a series of major pavilions exploring energy, life and health, the sea, the land, transportation, and space. Today, a few people might be surprised to learn that the old Epcot Festival Center with the Gold Dome and Future World once housed an attraction so popular that guests waited four to five hours in line, and that this was one of the most popular pavilions in Future World. For many, this was the pinnacle of what Imagineers had intended Epcot Center to be, educational, entertaining, and accessible to guests of all ages without talking down to them. 
Wonders of Life opened strong and was popular with guests for 18 years, but its history is a story of decline, abandonment, and decay. I never, uh, I, n- I never really thought a bit about it like that, but it it really kind of did hit check off all of those boxes. Like the only, you know, I, th- I think there's aspects of uh, the Living Seas that also kind of hit those marks as well as uh as well as the land but yeah i think mm-hmm. i think wonders of life in its heyday might have actually been been the best yeah I, and i think the same can be said for universe of energy it went through decline abandonment and decay <laughs> that, that well. is also true <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's sad what really what disney allowed to happen to these um pavilions Oh, over time. I I know it's especially, you know, something like Wonders of Life, as as we'll get to with with all of this. It, the worst part is the fact that they just kept using it for the festival and centers and such. It just it put it on prominent display of how little they cared about it and let it mm-hmm. go into that that decayed state. Oh, especially as we'll get into it, especially the first year. They used it for the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. <laughs> they basically just threw a tarp, tarps over mm-hmm. the old attractions and just ran the food and wine festival around it all. Yeah. I mean, it was sad. Yeah, just uh, it, it's a very interesting story. Hopefully one that uh, as as we get to the end of the story of Wonders of Life, hopefully something that that building never has to go through ever again. <laughs> so. I agree. I agree. So, did you um, have the opportunity to go into Wonders of Life as uh, back in its heyday? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, plenty, or, plenty of times. So, oh, good. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, as a, my dad raised me on Saturday Night Live from the late eighties, early nineties. So, I, <laughs> there was a time where I had Cranium Command uh, completely completely memorized i feel like so i yeah i i spent we spent a lot of time inside wonders of life so yes, especially between that pump you up. yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly so between uh between cranium command and body wars uh we we spent a lot of time in there i will say that we didn't we didn't give a lot of the other exhibits there do um i i know i had we sat and watched a little bit of making of me at one point in time but i think my parents probably like pulled us away because i was probably like five years old at the time and they didn't want me uh learning that much just quite yet but but overall yeah we i have i have very vivid memories of it when it was it was still thriving oh good good so um so good because you can you probably have a lot stronger memories than I do. I did go into this pavilion in its heyday and in its um decline so a few times. So well as we stated earlier, uh you know plans for a life and health pavilion were always a part of the original plans for Epcot Center. Artist and Imagineer Frank Armitage transferred from Walt Disney Man at Imagine in, in ah, animation to wed in 1977 and began his work in designing Disney theme parks. And it has been said that his anatomical paintings um, were an inspiration for the life and health pavilion. Uh, 
And interestingly, Armitage made the production illustrations and Academy Award-winning set designs for the 1966 sci-fi film Fantastic Voyage. He painted scenes of the interior of the human body, which were then turned into larger-than-life sets. So I'm sure he transferred all of that expertise and artistry over to the Wonders of Life Pavilion. Of course. Uh, Yeah. In the 1977 Walt Disney Productions annual report, CEO Card Walker wrote, Visitors to the Life and Health Pavilion will experience a new awareness and appreciation of themselves. The Joy of Living, a multimedia show, will extol the beauty, the dignity, and strength of man from birth to the golden years. The incredible journey within will take guests to explore the inner workings of the fascinating, complex human machine. Along with the great midway of life, they'll participate in a whimsical series of experiences, learning that good health is based more than anything else on their own personal responsibility and behavior. Led by the president of Wet Imagineering, Marty Scalar... um, And Disney hosted a Good Health in America conference to bring together leading doctors and CEOs of international health organizations to develop the message for this brand new pavilion. And because WED wanted to make sure the pavilion was as scientifically accurate as possible. So Marty Scalar believed the health pavilion would be more controversial than any subject we've taken on because theories about health care and how you manage your own body have changed a lot. That's why this pavilion would need to be about personal choice and not preaching and why it would need a sponsor willing to invest in keeping this pavilion ever-changing, fresh, and alive. So Marty Sklar told um, WDI Imagineering, that's I-E-Y-E, and that was um, an in-house magazine for Imagineers in its inaugural issue of November 1989, that they did a lot of uh, testing the water, in quotes. They got people together for that major conference called Good Health in America. Um, Sklar said it was like around 76 or 77, um, and established an advisory um, board. And the members included Theodore Cooper, MD and PhD, who's the chairman and chief executive officer of the Upjohn Company and director of the Heart Institute of National Institute of Health and <laughs> and um, uh, of Health and the. Uh, the editor-in-chief of the Pediatrics Review, Robert J. Haggerty, um, and the president of the William T. Grant Foundation. And uh, and this is very helpful for the development of the pavilion. Uh, Marty Scalar stated, One of the fascinating things about the subject is that in many ways, this is much more controversial than any other subject we have taken on, because the theories about healthcare and how you manage your own body have changed a lot over the 14 years since we first started. We finally focused on one central theme, and that basically is your role in managing your own body and your own health. Within that, through entertainment, we give great suggestions about the things that impact your health, whether it's stress, 
or exercise or smoking and involve you in a process of personal choice rather than preaching. So an initial plan for the pavilion was presented in a 1978 promotion by WED. And in that, the pavilion's theme would be fun. Life is a carnival, a joy, a wonder. And the interior of the circular pavilion would have had a very whimsical design by Imagineer Rolly Crump. Guests would enter the great midway of life in the central circular area around which were a number of shows and experiences. And after entering, guests would move clockwise and experience the joy of living, a sensory funhouse, the tooth follies, the head trip, which would eventually become Cranium Command, good health habits, and in a large angular show building, The Incredible Journey Within. Now, The Incredible Journey Within would be a massive dark ride, and guests would board an Omnimover themed to red blood cells and transport into the human body and view the inner workings of the human body, and in that they would pass giant animatronic replicas of a beating heart and breathing lungs. But this concept became difficult for WED mainly because they wanted large set pieces, such as an audio-animatronic heart over 30 feet tall. But they couldn't design it to beat realistically throughout the day. So as the technological restraints for the Pavilion Showcase attraction became more apparent, the Imagineers went a different route and purchased modified rediffusion flight simulators as the attraction vehicles, and these are flight simulators with video screens. So instead of having large set pieces, Disney could film the attraction and have the simulators move with the film. And you've probably already figured out that this attraction would ultimately become Body Wars, Epcot Center's first thrill ride. And I I have to say, with it, the the original concept of the Omnimover attraction, I, I feel like that would have even lost relevance even quicker than Body Wars did in the rest of the pavilion. Like it, it has the potential to to be good, but something something about it, like a, a thrill ride, sounds like it would have would have had more legs than an Omni Mover ride going through the human body. But that's just mm-hmm. my opinion. I think so. Yeah, some of it thinks like it's what happened to the universe of energy when, you know, the dinosaurs started to break down and all that. You know, what happens when the heart stops beating and the lungs stop breathing? Exactly. You know, (laughs) and they just can't fix them. You know, what do you do? A lot of room for stuff to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, like as if they built a giant Yeti (laughs) on a (laughs) big mountain attraction and they can't figure out how to repair it. You know, sort of like that. Yeah, I I guess that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, next up was Tooth Follies, which was a theater show designed to look like the human mouth. The entrance was flanked by two giant pearly white teeth and then you would sit down inside the theater and and it was designed to give guests the impression they were inside a mouth looking out and this musical mouth review would provide guests with a closer look at the teeth mouth and gums and this concept would be incorporated into cranium command and 
head trip. I, I have to think that Rolly Crump named this. Um, it, it was to be a humorous audio anim- animatronic tour of the human brain with audio animatronic sprite-like images of emotion, intellect, and the nervous system. And this concept would also be used in Cranium Command and may have been an inspiration for the Pixar film Inside Out. I still 100% believe that it had to be because it, it, it was just it's too close and like it, it drove yeah. me nuts when it first came out and people didn't even like connect the two together it was it, oh, especially in the disney fan community i agree and 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 the funny thing is when they started talking about what could they possibly do with the wonders of life pavilion the first thing a lot of people thought of was turning it into an inside out pavilion because of cranium command Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, which I think it could have worked. I think it would have been the better way to go. So it's mm-hmm. I, you know, it's we're a couple of years past Inside Out, but the film still is relevant. At least uh, joy and sadness and their meet and greet, they still they still draw a crowd with it. So I think I think it would have probably been been smart to invest in it, but. That being said, I don't know. I, I I don't know what the the end result is of what we're actually getting in in Wonders of Life now with the new play pavilion. So that might it might have longer legs than than Inside Out would even have. So we'd yeah. have to wait and see. Yeah, but th- they could probably sell more plushes with an Inside Out themed pavilion than what they're coming up with. I don't know. Potentially, <laughs> yeah, yeah, more merchandise. I know. Um, other attractions included Good Health Habits. This was a three-part audio-animatronic fable, a hands-on exhibit, a sensory maze, and the Joy of Life Theater that we already talked about, which would evolve into The Making of Me, which we'll get into. Um, a pav- uh, now, the Pavilion about Health and Life was originally planned to open along with the rest of Epcot Center in 1982. Herb Ryman even did you know, a concept painting of the proposed pavilion. Officially, it was put on the back burner because the Imagineers were limited by technology. But it's more likely that it was because a sponsor could not be found to fund the construction. A health-themed pavilion would not open in the park until 1989 when Wonders of Life debuted. Still, that pavilion that finally opened drew a great deal of inspiration from the original plans. The pavilion changed locations during the development of Epcot Center. Originally, it was to be in Future World West in various places until it settled in between the Universe of Energy and Horizons. The mid-1980s design of the pavilion kept the original circus tent theme and combined the other shows into a large single area. The Metropolitan Life Insurance Company was brought on as a sponsor of the pavilion, and the Wonders of Life Pavilion was formally announced on June 17, 1987. Groundbreaking was in February 1988, when Goofy used dynamite to get the construction off to an explosive start. Barry Braverman was the show producer on the project. The general layout would be made up of four sections, the main dome, the attraction building, 
the theater building and the support building, bringing, bridging the space between the attraction and the theater. A sloping entrance similar but to the land pavilion but smaller would wind past a 72-foot-tall, 25-ton spiraling DNA helix tower with the gushing fountain podium supporting the entrance archway, giving it the illusion of floating on columns of water. The entrance of the pavilion would be modified slightly over the years, most notably the archway when Metropolitan Life Insurance became MetLife. The 250-foot diameter of the 100,000-square-foot dome covered in gold anodized aluminum held half of the pavilion's show space. The 65-foot-high dome ceiling had skylights so sunlight could stream into the building, making it seem open and airy amidst the turquoise and purple accents of the white walls. A large abstract mobile made up of blue and purple glass panels hung from the center of the dome. The three moving arms of the mobile would allow the panels to collide, creating a thunderous clang that could be heard throughout the pavilion. Reportedly, cast members would place bets on when the next collision would occur. When Wonders of Life opened on October 9, 1989, at a rumored cost of $100 million to construct, MetLife CEO John Creedon stated how the pavilion would continue the MetLife tradition of educating the public about good health and healthy lifestyles. And he predicted that through Disney's entertainment magic, our pavilion will continue to do that through the 21st century. Unfortunately, Mr. Creedon's prediction was not to come true. Let's explore the Wonders of Life Pavilion as it appeared in its early years. As we walk into the pavilion, we may see a radio-controlled blimp featuring Snoopy, MetLife's uh, spokesbeagle, I guess you could call him. The two main attractions in the pavilion are Body Wars and Cranium Command, and there is also a main area named Fitness Fairgrounds, which occupies the rest of the pavilion and includes a small theater that shows the film The Making of Me. There's a few interactive activities, Coach's Corner, MetLife Life's well the Met Lifestyle Review, Sensory Funhouse, and Wonder Cycles. There's a couple multimedia areas, Frontiers of Medicine and Goofy About Health a live entertainment area, the Anacomical Players, and there is also a souvenir shop, Well and Goods Limited, and a quick service restaurant, Pure and Simple. The area was called Fitness Fairgrounds because the area is themed to look like a fair. There are circus-striped tents for a lot of the activities inside the pavilion, such as Goofy About Health and the Met Lifestyle Review. Let's take a look around the main interior of the dome with its circular walkway. This is the area of the fitness fairgrounds. The faux buildings flanking the path are themed as colorful circus tents. Directly to the left of the main entrance is the Well and Goods Store, which offers Disney-themed sporting goods merchandise. So it's here where you can purchase character-themed golf clubs and golf balls, along with other sporting goods merchandise. To the right of the entrance is the pure and simple counter service. The most popular item on the menus the guests still talk about are the Wonder Waffles, which were Belgian waffles. 
the Wonder Waffles was shaped in a pentagon of hearts. And I don't know what it is about topping bars, but this is what made these so spectacular. Originally, there was a hot toppings bar to load up your waffle, which included hot strawberry and blueberry toppings, amongst others. The hot toppings bar was later replaced by a cold toppings bar. Eventually, the bar was totally taken away, and cups of toppings were served with the waffles. Pure and simple, as the name implies, serves light, low-fat, and healthy options, including sandwiches, salads, pita wraps, fruit and cheese plates, and, of course, the um, low-fat, healthy chili cheese dogs. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never figure that out. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a head-scratcher, but, I mean, also, it's... Between loading up uh, sugary waffles and then having chili cheese dogs, I, I think we kind of have to stretch everything out just mm -hmm. just a little bit in terms of uh, reality. But, hey, it, it's a theme park. Chili cheese dogs can be a lot healthier than a lot of other things that you can eat in a theme park. That's true. But, boy, that, that those Wonder Waffles sound good. It does, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm ready for them to bring something like that back. Yeah. Now, in the center of the dome are three small theaters. Across from Well and Goods is the show Goofy About Health, which is a small theater with tiered benches seating about 100 guests. Here you can watch a clip montage of Goofy Shorts on various screens to learn the benefits of healthy living. Across from Pure and Simple was the Anacomical Players stage, with tiered seating similar to Goofy About Health. The anacomical players are a troupe of energetic actors and actresses who perform sketch comedy about health, exercise, and nutrition. Now, the routine began with what some, I guess, people would call dad jokes, like, when you, what do you get when you cross a bear and a skunk? Winnie the Pew, spelled P-E-W. And they only get better from their gang. Um, <laughs> the, the sketches include Body Court, Computer Technology Today with Dr. Manella, Dr. Sal Manella, and Flossed in Space with Prince Gingivitis and Commander Moeller. So I, I, how, how that's, this is still not happening today, I, I just can't imagine. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the center of the fitness fairgrounds is the Birth Theater, home to the film The Making of Me. Now, this did not open until October 30th, 1989, and it was dedicated on November 2nd, 1989. The Making of Me is a lighthearted 16-minute film about conception and childbirth starring Martin Short, I guess, before he moved over to the Canadian Pavilion. <laughs> uh, it was not without controversy, as you can imagine. Uh, we'll take a closer look at this film in our next episode. Um, in the outer ring of the dome is Coach's Corner. Here, guests can enter a batting cage and receive pre-recorded video, video critique on their athletic form and technique from athletes that include baseball catcher Gary Carter, tennis player Chris Everett, and, or professional golfer Nancy Lopez. There are other small attractions on the outer ring of the dome. There's Frontiers in Medicine, and this is an exhibit displaying research and achievements in modern medicine. And this is regularly updated. 
The Met Lifestyle Review is a series of consoles in which you can input data about your health and then receive a list of recommendations to improve your overall health and well-being. <laughs> I would probably say get more exercise and get out of your chair more often. <laughs> Um, MetLife also has a kiosk in which you can fill in the information about your family. And then you receive, at no cost, this is free, what looks like a front page of a newspaper. And this is in color, with your family's name headlining the paper, such as the Williams Family Visits Walt Disney World. There are also articles that included the first names of the people in your family, such as celebrities cited at Walt Disney at Epcot Center. There is also an article that is basically a promotion for MetLife titled Weather and News from Willard Scott. Now, before you really get perplexed as to why Willard Scott, well, in that article, you learn that Mr. Scott's father was a MetLife representative for over 30 years. And so he talks, he writes a bit about that. Good connection. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Um, there are several wonder cycles around the dome. I loved these. Uh, on which you can pedal a bicycle whilst watching a video of simulated travel in sync with the speed of your pedaling. And guests can choose from three courses. Take a little ride, Micro World Big Town USA. Uh, or you can go on a trip through Disneyland where you can um, pass in between the park guests. Or a trip through the 100th anniversary version of the Rose Bowl Parade. Did you ever do these wonder cycles? I don't think I, think. I did. So it's not it's not kind of it's not sparking any sparking any memories here. But yeah, yeah I don't course, think I did. I did one. I only did one trip. Every time I did these, and of course that was going through Disneyland <laughs> and all that, and it was really cool because you'd go down Main Street and you'd weave in between all the guests and all that. It was it was a lot. That's of really fun. cool. Yeah, and they advertised it as there there was a camera, and that showed the theme park guests that very day. You know, oh so wow, that you were seeing you were seeing Disneyland in real time allegedly yeah well i mean even if it wasn't it still is very cool it is it is uh, then there is the sensory fun house where and this is a large area where guests can explore touch sight and sound and the stations you can explore include optical illusions tower with multiple spinning and moving visual effects so this is to test your sight sense there's perplexion pipes which trick your sense of hot and cold by having you hold a hot pipe and a cold pipe with opposite hands and then holding a normal pipe with both hands which then feels both hot and cold at the same time so that tests your touch sense audio antics is a series of headphone shaped booths which allow guests to listen to sound illusions guests can sit down pick up a set of headphones and listen the headphones let you hear sound illusions. For example, one illusion sounds like rain pouring outside, but then it's revealed that the sound is really bacon frying. Mm. So that's your sound sense. Yeah. And then Touchy Subjects offers many areas to feel and guess what objects are that you cannot see. Guests can reach behind thick black bristles to touch an object they can't see and then guess what it is. And then you can walk behind the long boxes to see what is inside. And that, of course, is your touch sense. 
And then reading Braille provides an opportunity for guests to read Braille. So again, that's your touch sense. And then, and then guests could climb into the crooked room with a distorted perspective. I think these are also called Ames rooms. Um, the floor is crooked and items inside are out of perspective, testing your balance and senses in the room. And the room has video cameras inside so you can watch yourself. So this is a sight sense. And I never really got into this because we have something in San Francisco called the Exploratorium. And that this, and I went to it all the time. Yeah. And it had almost all of this. So I didn't find this section as attractive. And a lot of children's museums Abs- of the time had these kinds of um, stations. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It kind of reminds me of uh, stuff that we had in our, our one science center in Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. the, the other museums. It's all very much the exact same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's. But it's cool. They're a lot of fun. These kinds of things, I enjoy them. Yeah, I, I have I have a little bit of a memory of the this entire area, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that was just from like looking at pictures that it was coming back to me, trying to uh, spark some sort of false memories. But I, I I think I remember kind of playing around this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there were two buildings attached to the dome that housed. The, the main attractions, Body Wars and Cranium Command. And we're going to explore these attractions in detail in our next episode. So we'll come back to those. Now, as we all know, the life science field changes frequently. And MetLife's commitment to maintaining and regularly updating the wonders of life was a significant task. However, MetLife honored this commitment And during their sponsorship, the Wonders of Life Pavilion was one of the most well-maintained in Epcot Center. The Wonders of Life was one of the most popular pavilions in the 1990s, with Body Wars becoming a headline attraction at Epcot Center. After Wonders of Life celebrated its 10-year anniversary, the pavilion hit a major roadblock that would lead to the pavilion's decline and closure two years later. On June 1st, 2001, just 12 years after it publicly committed itself to maintaining Wonders of Life, MetLife abruptly ended its sponsorship of the pavilion. Reportedly, after a dispute about extending life insurance benefits for Disney employees, the loss of the sponsorship was felt immediately, with all references to MetLife being removed and updates to the pavilion being discontinued. And, and we've seen that happen when um, sponsorship was lost in other pavilions. It's like overnight. Yeah. You know, every sign is gone. Exactly. No free press. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Except General Electric, there is still <laughs> some some advertising in the old Carousel of Progress. They couldn't remove everything. Couldn't pry loose those logos <laughs> in one of the kitchen appliances. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, additionally, Coach's Corner was closed and abandoned. The anatomical players were discontinued and their stage left empty. Problems and breakdowns started to occur around the pavilion. As Wonder Cycles broke down, they were taken backstage without being repaired or replaced. Cast member staffing was reduced to such low levels that it wasn't uncommon for the making of me not to be open for guests because operations management thought it was the least important element of the pavilion. 
exhibits like Frontiers in Medicine, which had once been updated frequently to include recent developments in the world of medicine, began to fall out of date. Cast member staffing was reduced to minimum levels for Body Wars and Cranium Command. Body Wars went from 10 or more cast members during peak peak periods to just two, one to load the single operating vehicle and one to watch the system in the control tower. Since the greeter position at the main entrance of the pavilion was eliminated, guests now brought strollers into the pavilion. The greeter not only directed guests to park their strollers outside, they also kept track of the guests entering and exiting the pavilion so it wouldn't reach its maximum limit. That blew my mind that, you know, even 10 cast members is 10 or more in this case. That's not that many, but two cast members is just like that's that is bizarre for for an attraction like Body Wars. So it's mm-hmm. just it, it's hard it's hard to even fathom that. I mean that it really paints a picture of how bad things were. Yeah, yeah, and you're speaking as a, a former cast member. Exactly. Of yeah. Epcot's and yeah, I mean to me I thought, you know, this is a I mean it, to me it sounds like it could have been a safety issue. With yeah. Only two cast members. I mean it it really is. Like you have to even think about something like something like journey into imagination with figment you have your greeter out front and then you have the one control person you have an unload you have a group or so i think you have at least minimum four people at journey into imagination so mm-hmm. like and that's that's for journey into imagination i could be it could be three but i think it's four so just to put that into perspective uh, an easy Easy yeah. dark ride attraction versus a, a thrill ride. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's, it almost sounds like, was there bitterness here? <laughs> that they did, they were just so, they were upset and really didn't want to keep this pavilion open. Uh, maybe. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, standing from the outside, it almost feels that way, you know, but I don't know. You know, but there were other things going on, you know, that we were in a recession, you know, I mean, there was all kinds of other stuff happening. Exactly. So. It wasn't just, it wasn't just solely because of MetLife pulling out. It was just, it was a different, right. it, everything had a, hit at a terrible time. So mm-hmm. like starting off on that, that June time frame, then of course things just got worse as it got into the fall and yeah, it's, who knows what could have been turned around with this pavilion if if it just wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't that timing on it but yeah bad timing yeah. yeah so every so often the white triangular insulated interior dome panels began to break off and fall into the dome thank goodness no one got hit by those as far as i know um cleaning schedules and resources are redirected which allowed thick layers of dust to settle on top of the fitness fairground awnings mm-hmm. On Jen, so I thought that's just sad. Yeah. I mean, disgusting. Can't even dust. Yeah, sad. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So much for um, you know putting on a good show. Yeah. And- on January fourth, two thousand and four, the pavilion became listed as a seasonal attraction, operating only during peak periods. Well and Goods and Pure and Simple were closed. Frontiers of Medicine was walled off. 
the remaining wonder cycles were covered over until they were all eventually removed. When the pavilion did open seasonally, it often lacked its background ambient music. Many of the special effects of the sensory funhouse stopped working. (laughs) During the seasonal period, the attractions were essentially frozen in their 2001 state. Guests also reported that other attractions that needed maintenance in the pavilion were often left unrepaired, resulting in many guests simply walking past the pavilion because they never knew what attractions would be working. Ultimately, Disney was unable to find a replacement sponsor for MetLife. The pavilion closed as scheduled after what would turn out to be its final season on January 1st, 2007, and its attractions would never reopen. In October 2007, nine months after Wonders of Life closed, the Wonders of Life Pavilion reopened as the festival center for that year's Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. Almost all of the former attractions were left standing in place, with signage for Body Wars still displayed and illuminated in the background. Couldn't even turn out the... Wasn't there a switch for that sign? Yeah, right. I don't know. However, despite being in view of guests, none of these attractions were ever operational after the pavilion's closure, and guests wanting to check out the various offerings of 2007's Food and Wine Festival had to walk around the old non-working attractions to get to the Food and Wine Festival demonstrations. On August 1st, 2007, the DNA helix outside the pavilion and the pavilion's marquee were removed. Inside, the Body Wars mural was painted over and the lighted attraction sign was finally removed. The birth theater was used to show films on gardening and wine during the festivals, including the Seasons of the Vine film from Disney's California Adventure. I remember watching it there um, during Food and Wine. It's coast to coast. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the former attractions were retrofitted for use during the 2007 Food and Wine Festival. The entrance of the Cranium Command was transformed into a stage where wine seminars were held. Though the attraction itself still existed behind this entrance, the front was converted into a makeshift stage and used for several years, whilst the screens and animatronics used in this attraction sat behind walls. And I mean that... Yeah, theaters, another part of an attraction there. that was later re- yeah they are they are yes buzzy was in the news not long ago yeah we'll get into that next week <laughs> <laughs> so another part of an attraction that was later retrofitted for festival center use was the former extended queue for body wars which was instantly recognizable thanks to its half-circle-topped archways and was eventually used as a holding area for guests who wanted to check out demonstrations as part of the Flower and Garden Festival. Much of the queue for Body Wars was used as storage for the Flower and Garden Festival. Though much of the Wonders of Life Pavilion was still present when the Festival Center made its debut in 2007, Disney has been removing most of the Wonders of Life elements over the years. The Body Wars simulators were removed in 2014 and reportedly broken down for parts. 
Cranium Command had its queue and pre-show partially dismantled over the years. But like you said, Craig, the theater, including the animatronics, lighting, seats, and staging area, remained fully intact, um, I think until recent events. <laughs> and they started um, taking out a few parts mm-hmm. of it. So, again, we'll talk about that next week. The Sensory Funhouse was eventually taken down and replaced with merchandise and sponsor displays. Pure and Simple Space was used as a wine bar and light snack venue, such as the Wonders Bar for the Food and Wine Festival and as the Garden Town Cafe for the Flower and Garden Festival. The Birth Theater, which housed the Making of Me film, had a big curtain over its signage for the first few years when the facility was being used as the festival center. In 2008, the curtain hiding the Making of Me sign came down, and the theater was removed in 2009. In late 2010 and early 2011, the pavilion underwent an extensive renovation to better support the food and wine Festival and the Flower and Garden Festival. And this was because HGTV, the Home and Garden Network, assigned a multi year contract for the Flower and Garden Festival. As a result, Disney constructed permanent stages within the dome. And this caused the final evidence of the Cranium Command archway and the Sensory Fun House being removed. The interior of the Goofy About Health Theater was gutted, along with the anatomical player stage, and repurposed as two small stages in the center of the pavilion. Larger stages were constructed in the areas that were once Coach's Corner and the entrance plaza to Cranium Command. The interior was repainted with a new mint green and white color palette, along with the polished bronze fixtures and a craftsman architecture in a new design. And then in 2013 and 2014, Disney painted the Goofy About Health area in the center of the pavilion and installed permanent signage indicating it's a special event stage. In 2019, though, Disney announced what the next chapter of the former Wonders of Life future would be. In his announcement, Zach Ridley, portfolio executive of Walt Disney Imagineering, said... The ongoing evolution of Epcot includes plans for a play pavilion that'll be unlike anything you've ever seen at the park. This new space will be devoted to playful fun and feature an innovative city that'll come to life under the dome of an unnamed pavilion previously known as Wonders of Life. The pavilion city will be bursting with interactive experiences, your favorite Disney characters, hands-on activities, and engaging entertainment when it opens just in time for the 50th anniversary of the Walt Disney World Resort. This innovative new pavilion is beyond anything we've ever created and is completely unique to Epcot. Built on the power of play, it introduces an immersive and interactive city where you can explore, create, and interact with some of your favorite Disney characters. This is an experience worthy of our bold vision for Epcot and another signature element of our transformation. Well, this says a lot and tells us nothing. <laughs> so, I don't yeah. know. It's uh, It'll... I have a feeling it'll be immersive and interactive for 
people under the age of 12, and that'll be about it. But mm-hmm. that's something that's also very necessary in Epcot right now. So I, I, it'll be it'll be shiny, that's for sure. It's shiny and new. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the, the artwork for it is lovely, and it looks like it's, um, you know, from Ralph Breaks the Internet. Of course, that was the film that was coming out at the time or had just been released at the time of the announcement. So I don't know if it's going to continue to look that way. Yeah. Cause and, it's got that in there and a little bit of elements from Zootopia and, and other, other recent Disney films. So I, mm-hmm. it's it, at least it feels relevant. I mean, granted, we don't know when it's actually going to open up, so it might be irrelevant by the time that it actually does uh, open its doors, but it, at least it kind of feels like it's going to be relevant. Yeah, and, and given the construction delays um, because of, you know, recent events in the world, uh, who knows what they may have completely rethunk this whole thing. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I mean, especially with interactive, you know, that that plays in a big element of touch. And mm-hmm. in a world now, if they were far enough along where it's kind of hard to, to tread back, then then maybe they just have to go with it. But in a world now where we're talking about let's touch as little as possible and avoid everyone as much as possible, it has really big uh, implications on this pavilion. Yeah, yeah, because it sounds like there was go- there were going to be meet and greets in here also, you know, because you're going to m- meet your favorite Disney characters yeah. and all that. So it, um, really, like everything that you're supposed to do in this pavilion is stuff that we're supposed to avoid moving forward in the future. So that'll be really yeah. interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, but who knows? You know, maybe by the time it opens, we'll have um, gone back. To some some of the old things i have high <laughs> hopes for it i just whatever regardless of how it turns out and who its main purpose for is i just hope that they they with the play pavilion that it's something that will actually be sustainable for long periods mm-hmm. of time it's because if this thing is feels like it's completely uh just completely pointless after five years then that's not making any progress in terms of future world at epcot it's we need we need stuff that can have long legs and have a life for for years and years yeah yeah because you know it has to be worthy of the their bold vision for epcot whatever that may be i don't think i quite understand what it is but um yeah hopefully their bold vision is will be sustainable for more than five years <laughs> yeah that's time will tell yeah yeah well and in our next episode we will explore several of the major attractions that were in the wonders of life pavilion and that made this pavilion one of the most popular in epcot center in its day but now we are going to explore This Week in Disney History. Well, Craig, here we are in June. I I don't know where this year is going. Of course, I say that every time we move into a new month. 
So it's funny how when you're young, time just drags on and on. Maybe because we were in school the whole time. Yeah. For all of our youth. Yeah. I'd I'd (laughs) say that the idea of time not having enough of it, to me, I think that hit right around like 26, 27, Mm -hmm. maybe. And now Mm -hmm. it's just, it's scary. So, yeah. Oh, wait till you become a parent. (laughs) Then, Then time just really. It really just, it it doesn't march on. It sprints. (laughs) I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) Anyway, all righty. Well, let's take a look at June 1st. The first Mickey Mouse watch was sold on June 1st, 1933. What is the name of the company that manufactured this watch? Uh, Ingersoll. Yep, Ingersoll Waterbury. This is a Connecticut clockmaker that was on the verge of bankruptcy, and the sale of the watches will save the company. Disney, if you listen to the show, you know Disney saved a number of companies during the Depression yeah. through um, through you know the selling their products. So anyway, June second, Space Shuttle Discovery docked at the International Space Station on day number three of its mission on June 2nd, 2008. Its payload included a huge lab and two new occupants, NASA astronaut Greg, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his name like I do most names I attempt on this show, Chamatoff, and a representative from the Walt Disney Pixar Animation Studios. Who was this representative? I feel like you may have given me this question before, but... In in various ways. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, since you said Disney Pixar, I'm going to go with Buzz Lightyear. That's right. (laughs) A 12-inch action figure of Buzz Lightyear is... And he's, uh, um, you know, from the Toy Story movies. He's part of NASA's Toys in Space Educational Program. And Buzz will remain on the International Space Station until September 2009. So, and it's very exciting. I think by the time this show airs, we hopefully will have American astronauts in space under an, there because of an American spacecraft. Yeah, it's. Which uh, hasn't happened in years. Yeah, it, it's very exciting. Yeah, so, Elon Musk. We're, I'm, I'm really excited. I hope I get a chance to. Um, Assuming they're having a live feed. I think Kathy Whirling post from our, our Walt Disney World show. Yeah. I think she posted um, a link with information about the live feed they're going to do. Exactly. So we're, we're, we're just a peek behind. We're recording this the day before the launch is supposed to happen. Yeah. And <laughs> unfortunately, the weather has been all over the place this week, as we've already oh. talked about today. So I have a feeling... I, I have a bad feeling that the the launch is going to get scrubbed for the first try, but maybe you know maybe later in the day or another day it'll it'll go off without a hitch. I hope so. That the space program was such a big part of my generation's youth. Uh, you know, it's like we stopped every time. I mean, the sisters wheeled in the television on those giant. I don't know, towers, and um, so that we could watch them. And, and um, I, you know, I, you know I, I just hope we get back to that someday. Yeah, I, you know. I'm right there with you, too, because, like, when I was growing up, we were obviously still in the space shuttle 
And but it mm-hmm. kind of during the nineties, like it just wasn't really a big deal. I feel like it kind of settled into that period that uh, they they describe in Apollo thirteen, kind of you know after after Apollo eleven succeeded with its mission, no one kind of cared anymore as much. And I feel like that's what the space shuttle was like for me most of the, most of my youth mm-hmm. growing up is that just wasn't a big deal. It was just something that happened. It was normal. Well, we didn't have we didn't have a big goal. You always need to have a big goal. You know, we had the mission to the moon, and so at some point our space program is going to have to come up with a goal that we're all going to have to get behind, whatever that may be. Very true. They they should watch two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey and <laughs> decide we're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. All right. June third. Disneyland officially launched an attraction in Tomorrowland with a gala ceremony on June 3rd, 2011, and a new attraction in Disney California Adventure. What are the names of these two attractions? Mm, I think... Can any hints? Okay. Um. Well, in Tomorrowland, they the, it uh, opened at Walt Disney World just a few re- weeks prior, and then in and then at the one in California Adventure, it opened also Walt Disney World a few years later. Okay, if that helps. Okay, I think. Uh, well, okay. The I. I the California Adventure one, I was leaning towards Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Okay. Um, the Little Mermaid, Ariel's Undersea Adventure, made its official public debut. Yeah, because I, I knew that was before my I, I knew that was before my time with the Diz, and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, both of these are uh, Star Tours. Yeah, yeah, the up, an updated version of Star Tours. Opened in 2011. Was that really 2011? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> huh? And it had opened um, just a, a. It opened just a few weeks prior at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I guess yeah, that is true. So I was. I'm trying to think back because I know I went on opening day of uh, of Adventures Continues at Hollywood Studios, and I wrote it like I want to say eight times over and over and over again till mm-hmm. till we saw every single uh, every single iteration of it and i just said uh, oh man time is getting on my brain i'm not thinking correctly with that <laughs> okay all right june 4th a new walt disney world attraction debuted on june 4th 1999 similar versions would later open at disneyland anaheim tokyo disneyland and hong kong disneyland I'm going to take a guess on that and say Pooh. Yes, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh debuted in the Magic Kingdom. And, of course, it was the dark ride based on The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And it's located on the spot once occupied by Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And it'll officially open to guests the following day. Anyway, and we've talked about that so many times. We have, yes. Mm-hmm. 
And the only good version of that is in Tokyo. <laughs> All right. I still, I, I was still amazed that Hong Kong just basically duplicated Walt Disney World's version when, you know, that was a n- new park. Yeah, that's, that, so. that's strange. And they didn't have, and they didn't have many dark rides in their fantasy land. So, so fact, take that was of, it. Yeah. <laughs> that, and then later it's a small world. Yeah. So, okay. June 5th, Walt Disney world formally announced its newest project on June 5th, 1995. What was this project? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm going to guess, I, I could be wrong about this, but maybe this was when Wide World of Sports was announced? No, this this is my favorite theme park at Walt Disney World, Disney's oh. Animal Kingdom. Theme, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that would, yeah. time-wise, that would make sense, 95 yeah. going to 98, so. Yeah, and construction will begin in August. Okay. Okay, finally, on June 6th, the Walt Disney cartoon short Susie the Little Blue Coop is released by RKO on June 6th, 1952. And it's based on a short story by Bill Peet. He was a children's book illustrator and a story writer for Walt Disney Studio. It is directed by Clyde Geronimi and features the voice of Thurl Ravenscroft and Stan Freeberg. It will later serve as a stylistic inspiration for which animated feature... Hmm. I'm well. I'm gonna guess cars. Absolutely, that's it. <laughs> the cartoon shorts method of anthropomorphizing—I can't say that word at this time of day—anthropomorphizing the cars using the windshield for the eyes and eyelids will later serve as a stylistic inspiration for the 2006 Disney Pixar animated feature Cars. And um, Mary Blair um, did the artwork, designed it. Yeah. All that, too. So, anyway, so that's it for this week. You did very well, Craig. I, I did. I'm proud of myself. Good. You should be. Right. I'm going to make myself a cookie or brownies after this. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I believe this is a sad story about the decline of a once great Epcot Center pavilion, the whole Wonders of Life saga. You know, it went from a pavilion that educated, entertained, and thrilled guests by taking them inside the human body or showing how different parts of our body work together with our brain as a conductor into a space hosting festivals with upcharges for wine tasting and cooking demonstrations and merchandise opportunities. So... You know, I'm just hoping the next attraction to occupy this dome will be a worthy successor. I agree. So, and even beyond this, I I hope nothing like Wonders of Life ever happens to any any other pavilion ever or any other attraction. But I mean, specifically with with a pavilion, like if if people get bored of Soren one day, I just what happens to the land pavilion? It could easily go this route. So hopefully yeah. it never happens again. 
Well, hopefully it won't happen to the seas pavilion, the living seas pavilion, because there's living creatures in there. Yeah. But the rest of it, you know, it's it's sort of a shell of what it was. Exactly. I, I think some of the interactivity and, and uh, you know, things. And, yeah, well, let's keep our eye out on Journey into Imagination. <laughs> I'm a, my eyes are peeled, but I'm, I don't know if people will put up a fight for that one. Yeah, but, you know, there are already sections of it gone, you know, behind walls and stuff like that, or transformed into other spaces. Hey, UDVC members to need do your with lounges. The pavilion. <laughs> That's right. We do. We do. <laughs> so, well, I referred to several books, articles, and websites during my research for this episode, including the Epcot Explorer's Guide. I'm sorry, the Ex. Epcot Explorers Encyclopedia, A Guide to Walt Disney World's Greatest Theme Park by R.A. Peterson. So what some good websites include the Disney Wiki, Theme Park Tourist, Wonders of Life, The Sad But True Story of Epcot's Abandoned Pavilion, Lost Epcot, Oh My Disney, The Wonders of the Wonders of Life, Progress City USA, and Theme Park Tourist. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged? As always, you can find me on the many shows I'm on, on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network, and then also always on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DizUnplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings whenever possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.